Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast, where each episode provides in-depth insights about the long-term value of companies and ideas in our current world. Your host for this podcast is Doug Utberg, the founder and principal consultant for Business of Life, LLC. Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast. Uh, we have Gary F. Benjir on the line, and we are going to be talking about the future of technology. Specifically, we're going to be talking about uh, biosciences and uh, medical technologies and how those types of things are, uh, are coming in. But this is really uh, revolving around Gary's book, The Future of Hard Sciences, or The Future uh, in Regard to Hard Sciences. Uh, so Gary, uh, introduce yourself. Take it away. Yeah, thanks. Oh, it's uh, great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting no me. And I um, love to talk to business audiences, among many others. Um, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a business um, guy by my profession. Uh, in fact, I just got my 40th uh, reunion notice from Harvard Business School. So oh. that kind of tells you how long I've been doing business. <laughs> um, and I did a lot of things in this, those years. Um, uh, but I focus a lot on technology. I yeah. uh, was in a lot of uh, startups and small companies, biosciences, chip design, um, yeah. computer peripherals, the internet, video over the internet. Uh, I was the CFO at eBay and took them public way back in 1998. Yeah. And uh, so I did that for a while. And then um, then I retired, <laughs> went, went back to school, <laughs> backfilled a physics degree. Uh, that was interesting. Backfilled a philosophy degree, got a master's in philosophy. And then <laughs> right now I'm a writer. <laughs> and uh, I've spent a lot of the last 10 years thinking about technology and how this next, yeah. um, next century is going to go. So, um, so you can talk about this at the end, my yeah. book, Unfettered Journey, which is a fictional book. Uh, but um, uh, that's driven by sort of a hard science view of what I think is the near future. You know, what's in particular, what's going to happen this century? Yeah. So. Excellent. Excellent. Well, and, you know, because the, um, and again, so uh, my background is, you know, I spent a long time at Intel Corp, you know, which is, you know, of course, the, you know, Chipzilla, as they're called in the Absolutely. semiconductor industry, um, you know, because, you know, it's in the, you know, semiconductor technology, all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, which was the uh, the originator of the idea of Moore's Law, which has become sort of generalized in technology, which essentially says that over, say, you know, about, you know, 18 to 24 months or so, essentially technology gets a whole lot better for the same price. Uh, you know, the exact amounts aren't really as important, you know, the magnitude isn't really as important, but basically for the same amount of money, the, the idea is that technology perpetually and, you know, gets better on a, on a continual compounded basis. You know, so, yeah, so then, you know, what the, you know, the inevitable extension of that is that your cost per erg of compute power over time regresses towards zero or the amount of compute ergs you get per dollar uh, over time uh, regresses toward infinity. Uh, and of course, you know, when you compound that out, what that does is that creates some very interesting economics. This is where like the cloud storage phenomenon or cloud compute phenomenon comes from. If, if the whole idea of having a, you know, of using a network to transmit information, compute it someplace 2000 miles away and then transmit it back. If you suggested that in the 1970s, people would have thought it would have like literally locked you up and thought you were crazy because it's, it's way too expensive. But what happened was technology has basically ch uh, progressively changed those economics. And I think that, you know, bioscience is really one of the places that's, uh, I think the, um, 
that that you know, I think technology still really has yet to break into in a in a significant meaningful way, and I, I think that's actually I'm going to say that's a good thing just because you know when you're talking about biology, um, you know a lot of people are justifiably concerned about over engineering, um, you know living things. There is a very significant ethical uh, dilemma which I don't think should be taken lightly. I agree. Um, I agree um, you know, with and that. So, yes. Yeah, you know, and so it's, you know, because yeah, you know, if you're, you know, if you're over-engineering an inanimate piece of silicon and you screw it up, oh well, <laughs> you, you'll <laughs> you'll cut another ingot. Uh, you know, if you engineer a living organism and you know, create, uh, say, say like for example, you know, of course, right, the, uh, the you know, if you create the zombie movie, right, you know, where, um, you know, say there, there's some kind of bioweapon that turns people into zombies and there's an enormous zombie apocalypse. That's a little bit far-fetched, although maybe not as much as a lot of people would like to think. Um, it's like, you know, or, you know, if you start, you know, if you create, like, say, a permanent underclass of people who are genetically engineered or a permanent overclass <laughs> yeah. of people who are genetically engineered, you know, and that's what Aldous Huxley wrote books about. About. I mean, okay. you know, this is, these are legitimate concerns. Well, I, I should I should stop you there and interject because okay. I, right. I have a different right. opinion yeah. on that one. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, get, I'm getting into tinfoil hat territory. Here, so. <laughs> you, you are you are well. You you mentioned Intel, and that's great. By the way, one of my good colleagues at HBS was Dennis Carter, who actually coined the Pentium inside. So okay. you know, I love great great company, great company. Yeah. You know, um, and. And uh, yeah, Moore's law is continuing, you know, some limitations on that. But yeah, that's just driving all kinds of stuff here. And um, yes, it has had a, a huge impact on bioscience. I was in, ha I was in bioscience for half a dozen years yeah. in the uh, separations technology. And it has, that led to a lot of the, the analytical uh, uh, part of that, that sequenced human genome. And it's driving all kinds of stuff today. So yeah. yes, I, I would say though, that for this century, the two largest drivers of technology and tech change will be one, um, bioscience, as you said, yeah. and two, AI and robotics. Yeah. And but I have a I have an interesting idea on that because you know there's a lot of stuff going on in the bioscience, mm -hmm. um, and and there's a lot of talk about ethically controlling that, and you know yeah. I think the scientists are really on top of that conversation. I do not think we're going to have those crazy dystopian yeah. uh, um, outcomes. Yeah, and, and uh, incidentally, and I don't either. But uh, but again, you know, I, I can't let the conversation get boring. So you, so you, you you have to throw a little something out there. Yeah, okay. Stir uh, the but, pot. But, but uh, I'll say this: I think that, as I said, those two are important. But what I think will happen is, if if you look forward a hundred hundred and forty years, um, yeah. we won't notice the bioscience. Yeah, because you know, if you went back fifty years ago, people got polio. No one notices that no one gets polio. No one notices that versus like around 1900, we live on average 30 years more. Right? Yeah. So if we live another 30 years um, more, 140 years from now, mm -hmm. that will be normal. So, yeah. so yes, it's very critical. I think we'll eliminate cancer, yeah. lots, of, lots of changes. CRISPR-Cas9 is driving that stuff. So. Yeah. But what we will notice is the other half of the equation. And that's what, yeah. uh, that's what I'd like to focus on, Doug. Because okay. absolutely. Yeah, so let's talk about AI and robotics. And yeah, so here's my here's my thesis: is that you, anyone seen the Boston Dynamics, you know, um, robots? So they're jumping. Uh, they're they're doing somersaults uh, at the Olympics uh, this mm -hmm. past summer. There is a robot making uh, free throws from the center line on the court, right? Uh, consistently <laughs> um, uh, making uh, just doing swishes. So uh, 
that's our idea that this stuff is going fast. Um, if you look at factories, all of the business guys out there, we know that for the last 30 years, we've been replacing labor with machines. And that's going to continue. Now, here's my, yep. here's my thesis, is that that development is, okay, and also there's been, I think it was McKinsey said that by 2050, 70% of all the jobs will be automated. Okay. So that's seventy well, percent of all the existing jobs will be automated. What they're not saying is all of the new jobs that don't currently exist that will emerge because of the efficiency vacuum that's created from that automation. Uh, I, I, the, I agree with that. That's so, the part that every dystopian forecast misses is that every time there's a displacement, that vacuum gets filled with something and nobody knows what that is in advance until okay. it happens. So, so now you're on my theme though. So I think that this is overstated like you, you just sort of expressed, because I think that the development of AI and robotics will be more like the development of the automobile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had, you know, 19, we had Henry Ford, we had the Model T, et cetera. But it realistically took a century for the automobile to get to be what we think it is now, because there's lots of IP. You know, yeah. there's also, you know, social engineering. You've got to build the roads in that case. You know, you've got to have yeah. the laws to deal with accidents. We are certainly going to need the laws to deal with accidents because, you know, guaranteed yeah. planes will crash. You know, trucks yeah. will kill people on sure. the road than, than when they're doing autonomous driving. So I think it's, you know, I think it's going to take a, a long time. Okay, that's mm-hmm. my first point. But secondly, it's an easy engineering problem uh, in the sense that you can see from A to Z. You know where we're going, and the economics will drive that as it replaces more and more jobs, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. the end result is that inevitably we're going to have robots walking around among us. You know, and they'll probably be human sized because we won't want to re-engineer the trillions of dollars of infrastructure, right? Yeah. So, so uh, and so, someone someone described this. I was at the San Fe Institute, and we did a uh, there was a workshop on AI and the future of that um, a couple of years ago, before COVID. And some presenter described the jobs disappearing, sort of like a topological landscape, you know, with jobs, hills, and valleys, and yeah. And the water level was filling up, which is sort of the <laughs> the jobs disappearing. Yeah. So, so what's at the top of those little hills, right? It's, you know, maybe jobs like yours, <laughs> podcaster, <laughs> you know, strategist. Um, I argue that one of those jobs is a roofer. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be really hard to teach a robot to climb up on the roof with a bunch of shingles and you know, nail them on, right? Um, I mean, it's sort of a cartoon example, but the fact is, is yeah. that well, the equivalent well, uh, of, yeah. yeah, they'll well, be I'll making $300,000 and then, <laughs> yeah. then we'll replace them, right? Yeah, well, well, and especially because, you know, you think about something, say, like, you know, like roofer, carpenter, whatever, um, you know, in the case of like a roofer, I go, okay, could you teach a robot to do that? Or could you make a robot that would do that? Maybe. Could you make a robot that will do that and not collapse the roof of the house that it's going in on? Because, you know, these, uh, <laughs> these autonomous robots are heavy. Yes, yes, yeah. They're, they're really, exactly right. really heavy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're going to have to we're going to have to have a lot. That's why it's going to take a century. You got to get the battery weight down, etc. All that. Yeah, stuff. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, well, and because yeah, then you, you have to go. Okay, where can you replace metals with polymers? And so yeah, I yeah, I, I kind of geek out on stuff yeah. like this a little bit yeah. in my uh, in my limited spare time. Okay, but, so yeah, so do you agree with the end result though that ultimately all those jobs will be replaced? We can kind of see it happening within some period. I'm, I'm saying twenty one sixty one hundred forty times. Okay. Yeah, so now I, what thinks what happens? Surprised. Yeah. Okay. So think what happens then is that essentially robots can do all the jobs, except yeah. as you say, there'll be new jobs, but maybe I don't, I think it's hard to imagine how there'll be enough jobs 
you know, because there'll be creative jobs, but, uh, you know, how much creative stuff will we consume, right? <laughs> you know, um, and, and uh, some jobs will actually be um, in huge demand. I mean, imagine you're, you're running the, the orbital space station that's circling the moon, that's launching yeah. probes for, to exoplanets. That would be a cool job. I think anyone listening here would like that job, right? It's a great yeah. leadership managerial job. You yeah. get to run thousands of robots and stuff. You get to do cool stuff. People will want those jobs, but there'll be very few of those jobs. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's the world. Okay. And now th here's the economics. Imagine then by this time, robots are making robots. Okay. And robots are, you know, mining the metals, they're smelting the ores, mm -hmm. they're making the steel, they're building all the stuff, they're building robots. And you mentioned about the price of chips, you know, it's going to go to the price yeah. of sand. Um, yes. In, in many ways, basically, it's going to go to the price of the energy inputs, right? And if we have more efficient, um, hopefully cleaner energy by then, you know, um, you know, fusion, maybe, mm -hmm. finally, finally, um, you know, solar, certainly, and yeah. all that sort of thing. Um, you know, we, if we can get the energy costs uh, out of con under control and, and make our way through this climate change issue over this century, uh, then we'll have, here's the big, here's the big disconnect. Well, well and I, I was going to say, okay, can, can I go on a little bit of a tangent? Yeah. Just, yeah, just yeah. a little bit. Sure. I, I, prom I promise we'll get back on topic okay. pretty soon. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, the, uh, um, and um I was going to say the I I don't know how many people uh, we have out there who are super super concerned about uh, about climate change. I mean, and again, depending on who you're talking to, just objectively, it's somewhere between nowhere near as big a problem as people think and a way bigger problem than people think. And the thing is, it's you don't really objectively know what it is. But one way or another, if it's going to be fixed, you're you know you're not going to do it with a um with with, with having uh you know LED light bulbs. What you're going to need to do is generate a ridiculous amount of carbon neutral energy and then decarbonize carbonize the atmosphere, mm -hmm. which is going to mean nuclear power one way or another. Ideally, I agree with because, you because, yeah, because I mean, and so that's, I guess that this is, this is, you know, I try not to get political on the show. Uh, you know, it's a business show, but if anybody out there is really, really, really concerned about climate change and carbon in the atmosphere, and you are not an advocate and you're not a raving advocate of nuclear power, I would really, really encourage you to check your assumptions because there is no way within the current technology envelope that we get to a decarbonized atmosphere without a ton of nuclear power. And, and Doug, I'm, I'm, I'm totally on your page there, you know, and, uh, and I, at, at uh, TED conferences, you know, Bill <laughs> Gates, uh, Nathan Mervold gave yeah. presentations to say that yeah. exact thing. And yeah. I agree with that. You know, yeah. and, anyway, and if you do it safely, yes. <laughs> so Doug works with schools, businesses, and nonprofits to optimize their costs without layoffs. The best part is that he is only paid for successful projects, so you have zero risk. To learn more, visit DougBusiness.com or schedule time to talk about your business at MeetDoug.biz. Oh, back on so, topic. so, so back on topic. But here's the here's the thing. Um, so right now we measure productivity in the business world. You know, basically it's labor productivity. It's per person. It's per capita, yeah. right? But what happens if you, Doug, have you know a hundred robots doing what you need to do, and they're yeah. very cheap? Okay. For the first time in human history, productivity, the amount of stuff we make, is de decoupled from the number of people and in our individual efforts. Uh -huh. So that's a radically different economic system where there's lots of stuff 
Okay, and mm -hmm. I've run the models. I've, I've modeled the the uh, world GDP yeah. and the U.S. GDP to the year 2161. And yeah. it says that we'll have somewhere between 10 and 20 times as much stuff per person <laughs> yeah. as we do today, um, even without having hardly any multiple for this robots making robot stuff. So the world's going to be radically different. We're going to have lots of stuff and no jobs. So who owns the robot factories? That's a, that's a really interesting question. <laughs> that's a, I think that, you know, the, the answer to that question, I think really determines what your, uh, you know, what your government, government political structures are going to look like in the next 50 to hundred years. Yes. Yes. But so I'm suggesting this to recap that uh, bioscience and AI robotics are the drivers for this next century. Yeah. Two is that the bio, the uh, robots will be the thing that we most notice and that has the most important economic changes too. Yeah. And that we will have lots of stuff, but we won't have jobs. And so, and so that says. To, so then, so what how does that do we get like from a social economic perspective? Well, yeah. How do we get from here to yeah, there? That's, that, that, so it's yeah, really they, hard, depending right? Depending on how that plays out, it could be anywhere between utopian and dystopian. You're exactly right. And so, what I think is, so that's why in my book I take what I call a hard science view, because you know, you you alluded to you know crazy ideas about bioscience. There's lots of crazy ideas yeah. about robotics. You know, the Terminator sure. in there, uh, the the robots are all going to suddenly become conscious and take over and try to kill us all. Right? I mean, this this is silly. Or we're going to, you know, upload our brains to the computers and all that. That's just yeah. nonsense. You know, it's um, it doesn't fit with evolution. You know, it's we've been evolving for a yeah. million years to develop vision and hearing as our yeah. sensory inputs, and they move at chemical speeds. So, yeah. you know, that, none of that's going. So, so let's all, say what's although, real. I was going to say, like, what one more tangent? What I actually think would be kind of funny is if you had AI robots that generated managerial hierarchies where they tried to politically undercut each other with passive aggressive, uh, you know, with passive aggressive backbiting schemes. <laughs> well, I have, I have even in 140 years, I, I basically believe that they'll be annoying. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So rather than killing us, the world will be, they'll be annoying. They'll be walking around talking about the weather and they'll be ta talking to us with yeah. lots of inane commentary yeah. and we really just get annoyed. Yeah. So in, in my book, they'll what I have is teenager back talk and, you know, they'll roll yeah. their eyes at us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so for example, I imagine there's sort of like, this is the, the conceit of the book is there's like two kinds of robots that are generally walking around. There's a, there's a mecha, which is sort of a, you know, a, uh, three meter robot huh. uh it's it's you know uh it's uh nine feet tall and yeah and it's got a triangular face and it doesn't talk to you it just basically um moves stuff around right so it's uh -huh. more of an industrial robot and then you got these pippa bots these personal uh you know intelligent physical robots mm -hmm. and they're a little shorter than us so they don't aren't intimidating and they yeah. can actually talk they have sort of cartoon faces so we're not sort of um upset with having them around us so yeah so, so yes, you'll have that. And, you know, are they really conscious? Can we ever make them conscious? That's one of the themes of the book is, you know, what is consciousness actually? And, you know, how do you put it in robots? And have you, have you seen, uh, there's GPT-3 now? Have you seen these models on? Online? No, no. I, I, I mean, let's say I did, I, I did see some of the demos of the Boston Scientific Robots and those were, well, and I think that the consciousness, uh, the consciousness conversation is really interesting um, because I think there's the one side, right? And this is getting into a little, little bit of the, you know, the, the, uh, the Jeff Goldblum Jurassic Park uh, conversation, uh, uh, you know, conundrum, mm -hmm. but it's like, the one side is, okay, can you make an AI that's conscious, you know, you know, can you make a conscious AI? Then the question is, okay, well, 
even if you can make a conscious AI, just do you, do you just decide that, hey, I want to intentionally not make a AI that can develop consciousness because otherwise you get into a really sticky ethical dilemma, particularly if you generate AI that can build other AIs. I mean, and, you know, not that I think it's going to turn into Skynet from Terminator, although maybe most likely not, but, you know, but the question is, okay, well, but if you generate something that, uh, you know, that has consciousness, well, now you have to recognize its rights. And if it has the uh, ability to generate other beings with consciousness, now you have to recognize their rights. Yes. And, you know, we can't, e you know, we don't even have a political structure to deal with the people that we, and stuff that we have right now. I mean, can you, can you try to, can you think about what it would be like to try try to incorporate that with our current broken political and social models. Well, it, and you've just hit on something. There's a, there's sort of a whole line of dystopian science fiction that follows that. Yeah. And, and again, I take this hard science view. I think that those are problems that are just not going to be yeah. anywhere. That those, those are centuries in the future, I think. Yeah. You know, so I might, my, my, I'm going to back down a master's in <laughs> philosophy and theory of mind. Okay. Yeah. But a lot of time talking with a lot of uh, folks in the field about, you know, how hard it is. It's a hard problem. We don't even know what consciousness is. That's the hard, pro hard problem of consciousness. Yeah. But t how do you program it? Well, you know, um, there's a lot of folks in the field of AI research who kind of expect we're going to have another AI winner. In other words, yes, deep learning has made lots of progress. It apparently you can yeah. you know, translate languages. You can do all kinds of stuff. Uh, but uh, next step, really hard to figure out how you do that. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so I don't, I actually think that, again, that's just not going to be a likely problem. But the problem I just described is really a, a real yeah. problem, right? It's like, how do we, how do we create jobs in this world? And, mm -hmm. and, um, so, so that's well, the key yeah. thing. And, um, well, and, well, and I was going to say the, the amateur economist in me is, is, is actually thinking that, well, because one of the other things to, to think about is that the, um, the the forward looking uh, kind of reality that you're you're calling out and and by the way you know I think you know it's um uh, what is it <clears throat> you know it's entertaining to make dystopian forecasts but like you said these things all happen on geologic timescales um you know and so the you know the amount of you know we're talking like decades to centuries uh to you know like mm -hmm. as in like five to 20 decades to make a number of these advances, um, you know, and so the, the social conventions will have time to catch up. Um, and, you know, so, but anyway, kind of going back on topic, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, the, the economist in me keeps thinking that, you know, the, the phenomenon you're talking about is inherently deflationary. Um, you know, so there's a okay. couple of ways that there, there's a couple of ways that that could, that that could manifest. Yes, you're right. One way that it could manifest is that the real, is that the real price of pretty much of just about of everything that can be impacted by technology, which over time, once you put bioscience in, will start to become everything because, you know, the, uh, the old thing is that, okay, yeah, technology doesn't help food and energy. Uh, well, you know, with, uh, you know, with solar conversion, it's starting to help energy. Uh, you know, if you get to fusion technology, will start helping energy. You know, if you can start um, you know, if you can start bioproducing food sources where, you know, where, you know, instead of needing to grow and slaughter cows, now you can say, now you can grow a ribeye, um, you know, that will start, you know, at first it'll be expensive and then it'll start getting less expensive, just like every technology curve goes. So mm -hmm. if that happens, then what will happen is the, the real amount of output that you need to, to generate the kind of lifestyle that people live right now will go down quite a bit, you know, mm -hmm. now, of mm -hmm. course, the, uh, 
I, and I um, think because of the because of the making it that intermediate step, yeah. we become much more efficient with just robots doing all that stuff. Yeah. So, yes. And so, so yeah, I mean, I think that there is, you know, it's not necessarily fully dystopian because again, there will be a dis deflationary aspect to that. Now, again, the uh, uh, the tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists would say, okay, well, yeah, but what'll happen is the uh, the central banks will print enough money to offset that, keep prices stable, and then a whole bunch of people end up being unemployed. Well, well, like, I'm not like, going like, down that road right well, now. But but. I, but, but but imagine this, to, you know, we use capitalism uses supply and demand to figure out yeah. what the right price points are. And then if, you know, prices go up, then the production cap cap yeah, capacity the, yes, is to make it, capacity. make more of the stuff. Yeah. But, you know, think about all the data that goes into Amazon and Google and everything. That basically tells not only what is what people bought, but what they want to buy. So, yeah. you know, that data set itself as a data stream can replace that mechanism in capitalism and arguably more efficiently and sometime in the future. So, you know, it's like, okay, what stuff do we need? And the, the robot factories just chunk it out. So, so my book, Unfettered Journey, this fictional, you know, in the year 2161, you kind of, the average person walks into the restaurant, yeah. you know, and the robots serve the stuff you order and, you know, just shows up. When you're finished, you walk out and you, you wave goodbye because you don't pay. <laughs> the only thing you pay for is the top 10% of whatever stuff is because that's considered luxury goods. And my, my, my conceit is, is that we'll never easily get rid of the human competitive instinct and, and need for prestige and that sort of thing. So you'll still have that left, you know, so if you wanted to order the really good wine, well, then you have to pay with some kind of credits for that, right? Some kind of cryptocurrency, something. So, yeah. but, but there'll be enough stuff around that basically everyone will have all those basic needs you walk you go into a store or you mm -hmm. you know order it online and the drone delivers it and you'll pay for any of that stuff because there's lots yeah, of that's stuff. yeah that's uh, well and because you know that's uh you know it sounds far-fetched but i think it's actually not necessarily as far-fetched as you might think because you know if you take the moore's law idea you know which is the you know the continual exponential increase of productivity or decrease of or per kind of per unit cost and you expand that out you know, then you, 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 for a whole bunch of things, you can eventually get to the point where it can be cross subsidized by something like advertising, mm -hmm. you know, that yeah, it's, you yeah, know, that, yeah. you know, that, yes. you know, that's, you know, that, that's the model. And, you know, that, that that's the reason why YouTube's free yeah. is because yes. it's, you know, yes. it's because all of the technology costs are cross subsidized by, by advertising. Mm -hmm. um, and so, no, I don't think that's, uh, that's inconceivable so, in any way. So, so in my book, you know, Unfettered Journey, as you said, there's, there's a bigger conceit and it goes something like this is that, uh, so, you know, when, after the climate wars <laughs> in yeah. 2100, uh, and then what happened is that um, the, when they were re rebuilding, given robots making robots, everything got rebuilt and it's now heavily automated and there's lots of robots mm -hmm. and there are no jobs. But to stop social revolution, okay, yeah. then the, all the robot factories were nationalized basically. And uh -huh. now they're, 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 they're owned by everybody. But the people that own those factories, um, the quid pro quo for that is, is that uh, they put up something called the Levels Acts. And the Levels Acts are a social hierarchy from one at the top to 99 at the bottom. And you get a level, you know, and uh, yes, you can move up and down the levels based upon, you know, merit and that sort of thing, supposedly. But, you know, you get a bet level. And so there's sort of a social level system mm -hmm. that's in place. You know, and so that's the way the world works. Everyone yeah. is, you know, it's sort of utopian that you can, um, you know, you have all your needs met except for the top 10% of stuff you got to pay for. Um, and there's a social hierarchy. And the rest of the world has other ways of managing through that 
difficult century, but the U.S., because we're so property-oriented, we had this quid mm-hmm. pro quo for these levels. So that's the driver behind the story. Is uh, this? Yeah, that's uh, that. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of mentally unpacking that a little bit. I mean, because uh, I mean, because you know, I, I would say it's definitely not inconceivable at all. Um, you know. Um, yeah, that, yeah, definitely not at all. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So I've got this, again, I started off by saying I got a hard science view because I think yeah. there's a lot of science fiction that just makes all these crazy ideas. They take certain things like bioscience to the yeah. extreme. And now we're all going to, you know, have zombies walk around something like that. Well, I don't think we're solving the, the real problems that will come out by mm-hmm. a hard science view of what is likely, what we can engineer about the future. And they will be things like this, I think, is like, how do we deal with those jobs issues? And then how do we deal with the social possible dislocation, right? Yeah. And how do we prevent the worst of those outcomes? So, so, so my book has the social justice yeah. theme, which turns out to be, you know, apropos today's times, right? It just, yeah. it just happened. Well, well and, uh, you know, and again, just, um, just kind of my, my personal view, the thing that I think is, is, would, is, or what I think is really interesting is that, you know, okay, if you have a situation where you have robotic production that can essentially uh, meet all your needs of life and you essentially regress toward, if you want, you can have 100% leisure time. Um, how many people will elect to spend that time doing generally destructive and unproductive things? And how do you address that? Yes, yes. Um, well, you know, there's, 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 there's going to be, you have, we have to worry about things like privacy. You can yeah. imagine that there'll be lots of ways for the, the, the robo cops to yeah. <laughs> make sure people don't do bad things, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and so there's another concern about, you know, how do we, how do we protect individual rights um, in that kind of world? I mean, yeah. we can see how privacy is eroding like crazy. So, you know, one of my, one of my characters, uh, Joe, well, he's an AI scientist, but he also is, you know, a hacker in his earlier yeah. days. So, you know, just a little bit rebellious against the, the powers mm-hmm. that be there. So, so, so this, and this is a, you know, this is a futuristic adventure. It's a love story. It deals with consciousness. It deals a lot with what I think is going to be what really happens is that robots yeah. will be a part of our life. And then, you know, and then how much have humans really changed in that? I, you know, we overstate that. So, uh, so I'll give you one example of the technology mm-hmm. at the time. So, sure. um, so think, think of Siri 5.0 or 15.0. Yeah. Think about the iPhone that you carry around, right? Uh, where's that going to be? So, you know, the, the, the future is you have, a, you have a chip in your head, just yep. under your ear, inserted. You know, you got a corneal transplant. You got a little screen in the corner of your eye. Um, you're sort of in t- tied mm-hmm. with the net, with the cloud, basically. You can talk out loud to it. And, um, you know, your nest, the neural to external trans- yeah. system transmitter connects you. You can just say, you know, what's the, um, what's the, uh, where do I find my nearest pizza? <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and it'll paint a little map on your cornea and you just follow the red line. You know, that's augmented reality, a map overlay, mm-hmm. which Microsoft is already working on and it exists in the factories, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's just, this is like Google Glass 5.0, yeah. right? Except it's, so will that happen? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think it's for sure we're going to do that. It'll make it easier. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Will you have Siri in your head? Yeah, so, you know, you have this, you have this personal intelligent digital assistant. It's sort of like an AI that's resident yeah. on the chip. 
And, uh, you know, he or she kind of knows all about you, just like Siri does today. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, and and I was going to say, because the thing is, yeah, like a lot of people, myself included, would, ha- would have some res- reservations about having a computer chip that, ha- <laughs> that, 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 can, <laughs> you know, that, that can access my own retinal network. <laughs> you know, my- <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, then, 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 then you should read the first page of my book because then you will you will um i think find a great sympathy with joe <laughs> yes that, that's, so. that sounds outstanding that sounds outstanding well uh well, well hey this has been an amazing conversation um can you uh get, get, tell people where they can find out a little more and uh give us a few more nuggets of uh of wisdom and information Sure, sure. So as I said, um, uh, my name is Gary F. Benger. Uh, my yeah. author website is GaryFBenger.com. Um, the book Unfettered Journey is available on Amazon. It's available wherever you buy books, you know, Barnes & Noble, etc. Um, I have it translated now into six languages. And I'll have two more after I, we just are now in the process of getting Japanese and Russian out. So okay. uh, it's been, it's won six awards already this year. Um, Ooh, outstanding. Uh, you know, uh, the Eric Hoffer Award, it was uh, shortlisted for the uh, grand prize this year um, by the Eric Hoffer. Uh, it was a New Horizon Award. It won the Wishing Shelf of the UK. Uh, it was uh, won two National Indie Excellence Finalist Awards. So, uh, so it's doing well. It's been on um, in, in, uh, Germany, Italy, and in France, it's been on Amazon bestseller lists, uh, some smaller ones, because wow. we're just getting those rolling out. So yeah, the book's doing really well. Um, yeah. um, I'm, I really uh, enjoy sort of getting these ideas out there, because I think these are the really important things that we should be focusing on that are real problems, yeah. and we better solve them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's, uh, and again, it's been an absolutely wonderful conversation. That's Unfettered Journey. That's G-A-R-Y-F. B-E-N-G-I-E-R dot com. And uh, yeah, go, uh, go, uh, go pick it up. And then, uh, then yeah, uh, please, uh, please feel free to reach out to me or Gary and uh, let us know what you think. Great. It's great talking with you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you, Gary. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. Uh, And what I would actually like you to do right now is to give me your thoughts. So I would really love it if you could go to feedback.terminalvaluepodcast.com and just let me know what you think. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know uh, if there's anything you really like about the show, if there's any questions you have, or if there's anything you think I could do better. Uh, Once again, that site is feedback.terminalvaluepodcast.com terminalvaluepodcast.com. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts and I hope you have a wonderful Thank you for listening to the Terminal Value Podcast. Share it with your friends by sending them to terminalvaluepodcast.com. For more information, please visit businessoflifellc.com for full access to Doug's products and services. All rights reserved. No part of this broadcast may be produced in any form by any means without written permission from Business of Life, LLC. All trademarks and brands referred to herein are the property of their respective owners.